Hi, I'm Gail. And hi, I'm Catherine. Welcome to Women Over 70, our award-winning weekly podcast. Please visit womenover70.com and consider joining Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, so we may continue to inspire women to age with curiosity, courage, and creativity. Our members enjoy monthly programming and probing discussions, and we hope to see you there. And we are so excited today to bring to you Connie Goddard, who is 79. She is on a cruise ship, and she was referred to us by a friend, Virginia Kerr. So Connie received her PhD at age 60. Mm -hmm. Joined the Peace Corps at 65. Yes. Area of influence was history of education and the progressive era. She recently authored a book entitled Learning and Labor, Fostering a Democratic Approach Through an Industrial Education. And it's going to be published by the University of Illinois Press next summer. So Connie grew up in Winnetka, and she now lives in New Jersey. She studied leading educators of the progressive era, notably John Dewey and his connection to Frank Lloyd Wright. And recently, she wrote a book on the Midwest and is hoping to turn it into a video. Connie is very active in neighborhood organizations as well as caring for her husband. Connie, welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. You seem to have been reimagining who you are for your entire life, and mm -hmm. I'm not done yet. <laughs> you told me you studied the history of education of your mom and your grandmother who live in the Dakotas. So let's start there. What okay. From them, and how has it influenced your own work? Well, um, when I was growing up in Winnetka, I, of course, was not terribly um, enamored or I didn't advertise my Dakota heritage. But when I got to New York as a young woman um, uh, and uh, was patrolling the bars, etc., I would say I was from Dakota rather than Winnetka, Illinois, because that sounded a lot more exotic. Um, but the reason I'm mentioning the three kind of have a connection is I feel I've got three distinct sets of influences that have all been very important. One is my parents were both from the Dakotas and the practicality and community spirit and um, persistence, et cetera, I got from them. I grew up in Winnetka, which um, uh, gave me an opportunity to um, experience um, uh, uh, a rather a rather different set of lifestyle. It was really quite an idyllic community in the fifties. We could bike everywhere, and we had beaches, and we had the museums, and all that. Um, and it was quite different from the Dakotas. And then, when I was a young woman, I went to the Upper West Side, which was also different and had a huge influence on my politics, um, which remained sort of um, moderated Upper West Side, if that makes any um, uh, sort of a mix of. Um, the Dakotas and the Upper West Side. So, uh, and I'm really proud of the fact that I have all three of these. And I suppose I don't know what stage of my life I'm going through right now. I've been writing a lot about the Dakotas, so maybe I'm back in the Dakotas. <laughs> no, anyway. So, how how has all of this influenced the work that you're doing, 
or have done? Um, well, I say that I became interested in the history of education because I was working at Teachers College in New York City at the time and had a couple of children. And um, I was um, you know, very interested in education because it's what I was working in, et cetera. And I thought, why did my mother have such a solid basic education in the rural Dakotas in the 20s and 30s and my children, babysitters, and some of the other people who lived around us in New York not have those advantages. And so that's actually been um, one of the things that has interested me for some time. And indirectly, it led to teaching in a prison for a while, which was highly educative. Educative, how do I say that? Um, and uh, also, I have just written, actually kind of rewritten something I wrote a long time ago, a paper about schooling in the um, Dakotas during the Great Dakota Boom, which was a, kind of an underexplored part of American history. But it rather astounds me that as soon as the railroad arrived in the central Dakotas in 1880, so did thousands of people. Um, one county that I am studying in particular, the population went from um, uh, several hundred to 10,000 in uh, six or seven years. And the number of schools in the area went from none to 120. Now, I realized that there were several, there were many other, hundreds of other people who lived in there earlier, the indigenous residents um, of this part of the Dakotas. But they had been moved, not always of their own volition, um, west of the Missouri River. But it, that the, it was a rather extraordinary tale that this group of Midwestern Americans who went from Iowa and Wisconsin and Minnesota and Illinois out to the Dakotas, they just whoop, um, uh, rebuilt the culture that they had had at home um, on the on the. Uh, on the Dakotas, and the women were building, build, rebuilding the culture, and the men were turning the prairie into food that they shipped off to Minnesota, and it turned into bread to feed the country. So that's, uh, yeah, uh, maybe a long answer to <laughs> a question, but oh, it's okay. It's interesting. So when you went for your PhD at age sixty. Where, where were you in your career at that time? Well, um, my kids were raised and I wasn't helping to support them any longer, which made a difference. I was working at um, as an administrator at Roosevelt University in Chicago. Uh, and I had always wanted to uh, get a doctorate just because I wanted to do it. I got a master's degree. I got a bachelor's degree in 65, a master's degree in 85, and a PhD in 05. So um, there were some gaps there. But um, I I like academic work. I mean, I, you know, digging into old stuff and figuring out what happened and answering questions. Like you mentioned, I recently did a paper on um, Frank Lloyd Wright and John Dewey, who may seem like an unusual pair, but they were both two very well-noted personalities in Chicago at one time. They had 
friends and interests in common, but apparently they had no interaction with each other. So I wrote a paper that compared some of their thoughts on schooling and labor and workplaces and whatever. So that was a lot of fun. I enjoy doing it. So what else could I say? So did John Dewey influence your views of, of uh, basic education or learning from experience? How, how does he play into your own work as an educator? Well, it's kind of interesting. My um, uh, A, I went to a Crow Island school, which for people in Chicago, uh, it was in Winnetka. It was one of the prominent public schools that was uh, part of the progressive, i.e. Deweyan um, heritage. And so that may have sunk in somewhat. But also my father, um, during the 30s, he had come from Sioux Falls, South Dakota to Evanston. And in order to support himself, he started these, the John Heaton Play Club, and which were after school events and Saturday events. And he rounded up kids uh, um, whose parents wanted them to have this opportunity. And they went to a church basement and they learned how to build stuff. They um, went out to the forest preserves and they camped and they hiked and they whatever. And they went on trips around Chicago. But the connection is that the model for my father's club was learning to do and doing to learn. Mm -hmm. So you might say that um, uh, I've had kind of the, that progressive instinct um, me uh, since then. Specifically, my dissertation was on a rather extraordinary woman named Ella Flagg Young, who was um, uh, uh, started teaching at 16 during the Civil War and went on to be the first woman to get a doctorate at the University of Chicago in Dewey's program. Mm -hmm. And she was later uh, the first superintendent, female superintendent of the major school system and President of the National Education Association. She was a, quite an extraordinary person, and um, she still is in my head <laughs> all the time. Um, uh, uh, she had many ideas about how do you respect, how do you respect, how do you draw the best out of every student and get us all and get teachers all on a higher plane of thought. That was one of her um, many ideas. Wow. <laughs> you probably know her, Catherine, of her. Well, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I am such a, I was such a uh, fan of John Dewey because I was working in progressive education also. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't, I did not know Ella Flagg Young. Well, so I um, know. <clears throat> my next, next book, I think I'm going to write a book about her for my granddaughters that, um, that that's on my, on my list of projects. So. <laughs> I will look her up for sure. Thank you. So, so, um, so now here you are, and um, aside from being on the waters as you are right, mm -hmm. yeah, in your regular life, how are you still maintaining your own interests? I mean, you're you know seventy nine. How are how are you maintaining your own interests and you're caring for your husband? Um, maybe a tolerant husband. Um, uh, I have, as um, Virginia Woolf talked about, a room of my own, um, sort of in the back of the house, and it's kind of isolated from the rest of the house, and um, it is 
um, it's it's a bit of a refuge. I go there and I am, so I'm still at home. I can go check on things, our dog, Harry, um, whatever else. Um, uh, but I have this work that totally involves me. And it is, it. You know, if I had to be a full-time caretaker, I don't know if I could. If I could do it, I need I need this this other release. So, and Jerry's family is also helpful too. So, and and lots of neighbors. And so, uh, you know, it's you know I've recreated a little bit of the Dakotas on Alamino Place in in Falls, New Jersey. Anyway, you um, I think somewhere referred to yourself as an independent scholar. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you've been describing that in that terms of writing, choosing your projects and writing and carrying them out. But tell, tell our listeners a little bit about what an independence, the life of an independent scholar. Well, um, one thing you, uh, uh, you need another source of income. <laughs> that's, that's an essential. It's also, um, uh, it's, I do not have an academic affiliation. Um, when I was 60, uh, uh, and got a PhD, uh, finding an assistant professor's job in a field that was declining in interest and in available positions was nearby impossible. And I did do a bunch of college teaching, which was useful. But um, that's when I decided, well, you know, I'm going to go join the Peace Corps, um, which was a marvelous uh, thing to do. And when I came back, for a variety of reasons, I resettled in New Jersey, and I started teaching at a community college and at another four-year school. And the community college had a prison teaching program, and I thought, oh, I'd like to do that. So I did that for a year, and it was um, highly instructive. And uh, I was in a room with. 25 men who were all there because they had gotten themselves in some difficulty with the law, but they were tremendous teachers and, uh, I mean, tremendous students. And I have up on my wall in my office uh, a, a set of letters that they, you know, cards that they sent me. Um, and uh, I still get notes from them about, thank you for teaching me how to write now that I'm back in college. Um, and uh, also, one of my questions was, how come you're in there and I'm out here? And one of the reasons is that we have, as a society, eliminated an awful lot of the vocational education programs. And then these guys got out of high school, if they got out of high school, and they did not have the advantages that I had, like a home with a backyard and a father who taught me how to do stuff and a mother taught me how to do other stuff. And um, it was make a decent living. They did some stuff they shouldn't have done. And so that's part of my interest in industrial education mm-hmm. is uh, I think that as a society, we need to get rid of our prejudice against against that sort of thing so great mm-hmm. yes is that am i answering the question that you asked <laughs> was that a bit of a diversion <gasps> Catherine? Yeah. yes 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 I was just, okay. 
I'm resonating with so much of what you're saying. We have a, a lot of um, in, interests in common, a lot of experiences in common. So that's, uh -huh. that's great. Yeah. When you went to the Peace Corps, Connie, where'd you go? Um, actually, I was in Romania, which uh, was a marvelous place to be um, uh, for a host of reasons. Uh, I was kind of, I say I was the queen of this little town in regard as Transylvania, sort of near the Hungarian border. And what was particularly interesting about that is that my daughters, who were also in the Peace Corps, um, one was in Ukraine in sort of one of the first Peace Corps groups uh, that went there in, in 1993. And uh, she was teaching in a part of Ukraine that has not been in the news, but nevertheless, she learned something about the country, obviously. And my other daughter was in Bulgaria. So, and then I wound up being sent to Romania. So we had this experience about of these three former communist bloc societies, um, uh, one somewhat Russian, one more um, generally, uh, uh, I don't know, somewhat Turkish, Greek, whatever, and Romania. Romania is very proud of its Roman heritage and uh, also the Hungarian. Hungary was very close and uh, where I was had been part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So at any rate, they were, um, uh, that was, it was a lovely experience. I wanted a break and I just had a great break. So I loved it. Were you, were you, what were you doing there? Were you teaching? I was teaching English, mainly teaching English, yeah. Uh, to adults and children and, you know, the Peace Corps encourages you to do other stuff. So I gave talks at the local university and um, uh, organized things like recycling campaigns that sort of thing, but mainly I just enjoyed being there. And Facebook is marvelous. I'm still in touch with so many of my students and um, who are now <laughs> largely getting married and having babies and things like that. So um, it's fun to, it's fun to have to keep up with them. Now are you concentrating on writing? That your area of concentration? What? And if so, what are you writing about? Well, I'm uh, well, and I still have a little bit of finishing touches to do on my book, and I'm working on getting the illustrations for it. Which um, you know, illustrations require you have to get high resolution scans and things. You have to get permission for them and all of that. And I've learned to do a few things like that. Um, next week, I'm giving a talk about uh, schooling in the excuse me Dakotas during the Great Dakota Boom. And um, uh, this fall, I'm, uh, I don't, you know, I've got likely talks scheduled on aspects of Dewey and, uh, and industrial education. Well, well, so you're, so you're doing all of that. And do you ever think about your own aging? You know, I think about it. And I have several friends who are the same age I am. And we kind of pinch ourselves. You know, how do we ever get to the 80? And I once thought 80 was old. Um, I don't anymore. Um, I am, you know, my knees sometimes creak and I have trouble getting in and out of a kayak or I did last summer. Uh, but, so, 
Um, I haven't tried to load my bicycle on the back of my car yet uh, this year, but um, I uh, I don't. I guess that so long as this, you know, from here up is in great shape, you know, take care of yourself. Don't don't let yourself. Um, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, keep your brain and your body moving and learning and going. Also, I have good genes. My mother died just a few months short of 100, and three of her grandparents lived until well into their 90s. So, um, and that was for people born in the 1860s and 1870s. That was unusual. Are these the Dakotas people? Yes, Dakotas. <laughs> Homesteaders. <laughs> Farm wives. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so do you have anything else you'd like to tell us about what you're working on, how you're thinking, what uh, what's left what's left undone for you? Well, I said something about this biography of Ella Flagg Young for my granddaughters. Um, I would like to do that. Um, uh, I want to finish my book. I would love to turn it into a video, or I shouldn't say turn my book into a video. I think the subject of industrial education in general, or CTE, career um, and technical education, as it's called now, um, is really worthy of um, some kind of a documentary um, in my dreams. It would show up on PBS. Um, and uh, as soon as I get this part of the book done, I'm going to start working on that. So um, I don't I don't anticipate ever running out of projects. <laughs> so uh, I can see why not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> why why run out of projects? Yes. Yes. The, the book that you wrote, like Learning and Labor? Yes. When was that? When did you write that? And, and oh, well, well, and I don't know. Maybe I've been writing it all my life, ever since my father was, you know, doing to learn and learning to do. Um uh, I I actually what inspired it? I I had I wanted to do a biography of Alify Young, but for a variety of reasons that never happened. And um uh, I said the also my mother attended uh, something called the State Normal and Industrial School in Ellendale, North Dakota, and she always spoke very highly of it and of her high school and her high school principal. And um, uh, I uh, so I got the idea sort of shortly before COVID came up. I was writing about a Jewian school or a school in New Jersey called the normal uh, state um <clears throat> the manual training in industrial school for colored youth which is located or was located just south of Trenton it was quite a a, a marvelous state supported institution boarding school that was inspired um by uh Booker T Washington W.B. Du Bois and also its principal um had uh run a very doing school in Indianapolis he was a a black man who had graduated from Harvard in the same class as FDR. But I thought of the men who were in my prison classes and, you know, this Deweyan, Boisean, Washingtonian, whatever school. And, you know, my mother's experience, she went to this little school in North Dakota. Her parents were subsistence farmers. Um, she managed to get at state expense uh 
degree in bookkeeping. She went to Chicago and she get and she got a job. And uh, that was um, without the school, she probably would not have had those kind of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she loved the Dakotas too. They were, the Dakotas in the thirties had um, were a rough place to be. So. <laughs> Is that answering your question? Yes. Yes. Okay. I feel like keep hurting myself from maybe I should be a politician or something. Whatever question you ask, I turn it into a point I want to make. That's great. <laughs> Makes sense. That's wonderful. Yes. Um, and just say a little bit more about your interest in Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, well, you know, I'm from Chicago, for heaven's sake. Um, uh, you get interested excuse me, in architecture. Um, the school that I attended was Crow Island, which I mentioned before, which was designed by um, uh, prairie style influenced people. Um, Perkins and Will is a major Chicago firm that had connections with that. Um, it was a school built mainly of natural materials with great sensitivity to the out of doors. Um, <clears throat> right. Um, uh, I, he was a prominent Chicagoan and a fascinating character. And I've been to a lot of his buildings uh, in Wisconsin and Arizona and Chicago, whatever. Um, what interested me about <clears throat> at this instance, or, and I might divert slightly, like 15 or 20 years ago when I was still living in Wilmette, I did a, an article about prairie style houses on the North Shore. And I know Oak Park gets a lot more attention than the North Shore does, but there were several examples of them there too. So um, I, uh, it was kind of natural. I, in my book, I wrote a little bit about Dewey's relationship or lack thereof with the arts and crafts movement, which even though he was in Chicago when it was very prominent, it does not appear in his writings. None of the major figures appear in his writings. Um, but I came across something called a publication called The New Industrialism. And there was a, a, a society for the promotion of industrial, what is it? I can't remember the exact name right now. There was kind of an offshoot of Chicago Arts and Crafts Society, which was one of the nation's leading or most prominent. Um, uh, Arts and Crafts Association, and I'm not sure, uh, you know, when I talk about that, it was a sort of circa 1900, it was a revolt against the machine and a way to celebrate handicrafts was what the Arts and Crafts Society was all about. Uh, But Frank Lloyd Wright, who was always an iconoclast, um, uh, felt that many of the Arts and Crafts people were... um, being disdainful of the machine. And he talked about how the machine could democratize art and how the machine could um, remove some of the drudgery of labor. And he gave this really important talk or at at Hull House in 1901, 1902, called The Art and Craft of the Machine. And it was a version of it. It was republished in this new industrialism booklet. And I thought, oh, well, Dewey was talking about the laboratory school or his school as a laboratory, and Wright was talking about turning workplaces or schooling places into kinds of guild-like 
laboratories. Um, and so there were some interesting connections between the two. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, fascinating. That's what led to that. <laughs> so you, your mind just keeps working and working and working. Well, <laughs> life's much fun if it didn't. <laughs> you know. and, and interesting projects and moving forward. Yeah, really, very, very. I think it's very exciting, and um, and and you keep going back to these subjects that are so important to you. And, yeah, and see you continuing to do more research, more writing, more more sharing of all of this information as you move forward. Well, I thought maybe I never got out of Crow Island. I'm still looking at prairie style architecture and professional progressive education and the connections between the two of them. So maybe I've never grown up or something. <laughs> what? Does Catherine have any more questions? Um, I don't think so. I just, well, no, it's just a comment about yeah. the early on you talked about the three major influences of growing up in the Dakotas. Uh, well met and then Winneka and then yeah. uh, New York and uh -huh. I'm just um, my own experience of growing up in western Minnesota rural Minnesota oh. and having relatives in South Dakota North Dakota oh my goodness is um this uh, for me it's been uh, a, a greater increasing interest of kind of wanting to reclaim my <laughs> heritage which for many years I sort of disdained and didn't want to you know talk about. Uh -huh. But I'm just wondering, it seems to me that that's such an important part of the stories that you want to tell, mm -hmm. is bringing that, well, bringing that forward. We could, I'm sure, um, have, uh, uh, maybe we have relatives in the same part of, you know, that Minnesota-Dakota um, border. But um, the piece, that, two of my recent articles, which are mentioned in the bottom of my emails, um, are both, uh, you might find them of, of interest. Um, you know, the state of the state of North Dakota did an extraordinary job establishing as both North and South Dakota, establishing public post-secondary schools that were supported mm -hmm. at state expense. Mm -hmm. oh. Oh. Well, thank you so much for, for talking with us today. It was just a wonderful through um history and and uh geography and all sorts of different experiences so thank you and um so listeners thank you for your loyalty because of you our numbers are growing all across the country and overseas and you know this is a good thing but still we need more subscribers and reviews on apple play and youtube so support women over 70 and let your voice be heard and help us change the conversation about women aging.